How I Became a Spy, Chapter 4. Hello, Bertie. You're back late. The young constable at the reception desk at Trenchard House called out a greeting. Did the little dog rescue anyone? No. We were lucky tonight. No rescues needed. I waved goodnight and pushed my bicycle along the hallway, L.R. trotting behind. Our flat was on the main floor, close to the reception desk, since Dad was the building caretaker as well as a police sergeant. When I'd first told friends at school that I lived in a boarding house with more than a hundred policemen, they'd made stupid jokes about it. You better be careful, Bertie, or you'll get hauled off to jail for not doing your homework. Or, I'm not coming to your house, Bertie. I don't want to get put in prison. David was the only friend who'd ever visited me here. It wasn't just that he lived close by on Berwick Street. David dreamed of being a detective one day. He liked to hang out at tre about Trenchard House, hoping to pick up some tips. These aren't real detective inspectors, I told him. They're just young constables who complain about how their feet hurt from walking all over the city. You can never tell what you might learn from just listening, David replied. As the great detective himself said, you know my method. It is founded upon the observation of trifles. That's from the Boscombe Valley Mystery. I'd never be a Sherlock Holmes expert like David, or like my brother, Will. Trenchard House wasn't a good place to, to learn to be a detective, and it wasn't much of a home either. We'd moved here, moved here only after we lost our own house. I knew not to complain. No one in London can count on having a roof overhead from one day to the next, Dad said. We're lucky we found a place to stay, unlike some of our neighbors. Our flat had two small bedrooms off the kitchen and a tiny parlor where Dad sat in a bulky armchair to read the newspaper. We didn't even have room for an indoor Morrison shelter. Some people put these cage-like metal structures under dining tables, but our table sat only four. It didn't matter much. Since so many people lived in Trenchard House, we had a designated underground shelter in Soho Square. At our old house, Dad had installed an Anderson shelter in the back garden. He'd had to dig down four feet and cover the corrugated metal roof with soil. We all fit fine. It was six feet tall, about that same length, and four and a half feet wide. I remembered because Will and I helped Dad measure out the space. Anderson shelters were good protection, unless there was a direct hit. But, of course, you had to get there in time. I tried not to think about our old Anderson shelter and how we weren't in it on the one night that mattered. L.R. shot through the door of the flat and curled up on her bed in the kitchen. It still surprised me how quiet and empty it always seemed. Before, Mum would have had the kettle whistling. Tea and toast, that's what you need, she always said. Mum had always had tea and toast and homemade berry jam ready after school, or when Dad returned from a patrol with red, chafed cheeks and tiny icicles on the ends of his long mustache. Now I made my own tea and toast, though we'd finished the last of the jam. Sometimes the toast came out burnt and hard. Not even little Rue would eat that. When we first got her, I'd be worried about having enough to feed her. But she gobbled almost anything. Once, she seized an egg that fell and broke. L.R. chewed it up, shell and all, before I could pry it out of her mouth. I almost laughed, but since we each only got one real egg every week, it wasn't that funny. 
I felt hungry, but too tired to bother. It would be easier just to go to bed. I didn't want to sit alone with my thoughts. The American girl? The missing woman in the alley? Our empty flat? I didn't want to think about how lonely it was without Mom and Will. Dad had left a note on the kitchen table, saying he'd be late. These days, he spent most of his time on duty, making sure people weren't looting. If anything big happened, he had to call the real detectives from Scotland Yard to take charge. I didn't need to ask I didn't need to ask Scotland Yard what was wrong in our family. That's another thing the war had taught me. Some things can't be fixed by tea and toast. Saturday. I woke early. LR had moved from the foot of the bed to stick her wet nose in my face. It's Saturday, I cried. Let me sleep a little longer. But as I lay there, everything from the night before came rushing back. The missing woman. The American girl. The notebook. The notebook! I reached to the floor and pulled it out of my trousers. I looked for the owner's name, but couldn't see one anywhere. Most likely, the American girl had dropped it. Maybe I shouldn't have started to scan the pages, but I was curious. I switched on my bedside lamp and lay back against my pillow. LR rested her chin on my knee, fixing her round eyes on me. We'll go out in a minute, I promised. Maybe this is her diary, or her school notes. I suppose it's weird to talk to your dog like she can understand everything. Sometimes LR cocked her head to the side as if she was concentrating hard on what I said. Probably she was only waiting to hear her favorite words, walk, and go, and treat. And then I began to read. The first sentence jumped out at me. The invasion is coming. That's the key. The key to everything I'll learn here, and why I'm training for this dangerous mission. No one can say when the invasion will happen, or exactly where the troops will land. But now, I have a part to play. I can do something to help win this awful war.